You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we are as we uh, continue in our Christmas series, When the Real Jesus Comes to Town. And in this series, our hope is that you will trade your version of Jesus for the real Jesus. And that you will see that the real resurrected King Jesus, he is good news to all of life. That he really does bring the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that every single person in here is longing for. And as we continue in that series, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just going to read two verses for you. Verse 6 and verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen for you. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we come here today, many of us anxious, frustrated, conflicted, tense. Uh, Our world is anything but peaceful, and yet you give us the promise of peace. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will begin to do just that, that you will take these words, drive them into our hearts, and transform us for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, it's of no secret, I'm a germaphobe. Um, I wash my hands before every meal. Um, If I'm at a restaurant and there's not a sensor on the toilet, I will kick flush the toilet. I will open the door with paper towels. I basically, I just do anything I can to avoid germs. And so therefore, as you can imagine, one of the most uncomfortable places for me to be on the planet is in a hospital. However, because I'm a pastor at times, I need to make visits to the hospital. And I'll never forget one of the first hospital visits I ever made. I was new in ministry, which means I was young, I was passionate, I was prepared. Uh, I was, I was going to give myself to being the best pastor I could possibly be. And so whenever the opportunity presented itself for me to go visit a sick, dying, elderly woman in our congregation, I jumped at the chance to do so. And, uh, you know, since I was a little nervous going to a hospital, I spiritually prepared myself. I threw on some Hillsong. I pulled out my Bible. I began to underline the verses that I was going to read to this dying woman to give her this great sense of hope and confidence before she entered into eternity. And so I did all that. Eventually, I got to the hospital. And when I walked in, I was careful not to touch anything, right? Don't push any buttons. Don't touch any doors. Stop at every single hand sanitizing station that I can to foam up. And so eventually, I arrived to room 321. And I sat there, and I took a deep breath. I said a prayer. I walked in the door. And, man, I'm telling you, Adam, I did it textbook according to what seminary would teach us, man. I go in. I pulled up a chair by this very weak, feeble, sick woman. I introduced myself. I began to just, you know, talk with her and learn about her life. And, you know, eventually after about 15, 20 minutes, somewhere around there, um, I thought, you know, it's probably time for me to go. And so I said, hey, do you mind? If I just pray for you before I go. And she said, oh, that'd be a lovely idea. And so I closed my eyes and I said, Father, I thank you so much for Miss A.G. And I was about to go on to to finish my prayer and she stopped me. She said, what did you call me? I said, Miss A.G.? 
And she said, hon, I'm not Miss Agee. And I thought, oh, really? Apparently, there was another elderly, sick, dying woman in the hospital that I was visiting that I had no idea who she was, but it was the complete wrong woman. So awkward, right, to say the least. Um, so I said, I'm so sorry about this. Um, I, I, it's been nice visiting you, you know, like I'm about to walk out, like I hope you have a great life, whatever's left of it, you know. And so um, <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. I go to the get up to leave. She grabs my hand and she says, hey, would you do me a favor? And I was, I'm starting to get a little nervous. And I said, yeah, I'll do you a favor. What you need? She said, would you kiss me? True story. So immediately I'm conflicted, right? So I'm sitting here as a germaphobe and I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to kiss this woman because I don't know what she's contracted, but whatever it is, it's killing her. So I don't know if I want to kiss her. But then at the same time, I'm like, I want to be a good pastor. I don't want to be a jerk and like, you know, just basically bail on this woman's dying wish. So what do I do? Well, I decided to kiss her. And so I, I gave her a kiss on the cheek, and, and uh, you know, it was awkward, it was weird, and, and immediately I walked out, I, you know, I put some foam on my lips, and like, <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I left the hospital as quick as I can, I did not even end up visiting the woman I was supposed to visit, and so I went back to the office and uh, just confessed to the pastors, and I was like, I don't know if this disqualifies me for ministry, but this is what just happened, and of course, they just laughed, and they never let me hear the end of it, but, but here's why I share that, okay? It's not just because I wanted to get it off my chest, though it does feel good for me to just be honest in front of you, and you now know what you're dealing with here, um, but the reason that I share that is because I really believe that some of you live your lives uh, like I was in room 321, and, and here's what I mean by that. For some of you, your entire lives, you live with like this inner just conflictedness. Uh, you're constantly anxious. You're constantly nervous. You're constantly just wondering, ah, like, what do I do in this situation, right? I mean, for some of you, it's all for different reasons. For some of you, this is because when you look at social media, you look at the news, you see all kinds of war and violence and terrorism for others, right? You or someone you know is battling an illness. For others in here, you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills or get the kids Christmas gifts. For others, you're in the middle of a broken relationship. For others, you have kids who are struggling in school. I mean, we all come in here in all different ways, right? And as a result, some of us today, we find ourselves conflicted. We find ourselves worried. We find ourselves anxious and possibly even emotionally exhausted. And what I submit to you today is no matter how you find yourself, no matter how you came in here, no matter what it is that you are battling, you can because of the birth of Jesus. You can because of the Christmas story. You can because the real Jesus has come to town. You can right now experience a real, tangible, unshakable peace. And that's what Isaiah 9 is all about. But before I read to you from Isaiah 9, I want you to understand it in its proper context. So flip back one page to Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7 verse 1. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekal, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. Basically, here's what's going on. The king of Judah is a man by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz is minding his own business, doing his own thing. When he gets word that the king of Syria and the king of Israel is wanting to come up against him, that basically they're wanting to remove him as the king, they're wanting to put him 
this puppet king, and they're wanting to form alliance to take down some of their enemies. Well, Ahaz obviously has no options at this point. At least he feels he has no options. I, I mean, on one hand, right? I mean, it's kind of like I was in room 321 times 100. On one hand, he's like, hey, um, you know, if, if I just step down, right, I'm no longer the king of Judah. If I just, like, give him my kingship, then I'm no longer the king, and I don't know how they're going to run this thing. I might just, you know, I might just run it to the ground, so I can't do that. But on the other hand, if I try to fight against these guys, they're going to kill me and possibly other people in our country. So that's not a good option either, right? I mean, Ahaz is in this place of panic. He's stuck between his two greatest fears. He seems to be in what we would call a lose-lose situation. Maybe for some of you this morning, that's where you find yourself right now. Some of you come in here today and for different situations, you feel like you are completely out of options. That no matter what you do, any decision you make is going to be a bad decision. And let me just say this. Sometimes that's exactly where God wants you. Sometimes what God will do, the best thing he can do for you is to put you in a place where you have no more options so that then you have no choice but to turn to him. I know for people like Brooke and BJ, Zach, many people, myself in here, the place that we met Jesus was a place where we were most desperate. The truth is sometimes you don't know that God is all you need until God is all that you have. And therefore, at times, God in his grace will strip you of everything that you possibly have so that you have to turn to him. Sometimes no options is the best option. This is where we find Ahaz in our story. He's all out of options. There's nowhere to go. And then God sends a word to him through Isaiah. Look in verse 4, Isaiah 7, 4. Isaiah said to him, look at this, I love it. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. I love that. Ahaz, you're freaking out right now. You need to be real careful what step you take next. Ahaz, hush. Calm down. Do not freak out. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps, referring to these two kings. I love this. God says to Ahaz, Ahaz, these two kings... They may look like mountains to you. They're smoldering stumps to me. He says these two kings, they may present a little threat to your little kingdom, but they do not present any threat at all to my kingdom. Therefore, Ahaz, calm down, relax, and do not let your emotions get the best of you. For some of you in here today, this is the words you need right here. For some of you today, your problems seem larger than life. For some of you in here today, you are on the verge of making a terrible decision because your decision is going to be driven more by fear than it is by faith. If that's where you are, let me just encourage you with God's word. Be careful. Be quiet. Calm down. Do not let the fear of the smoldering stumps around you paralyze you and cause you to make a decision that in the end is going to be bad for you and those around you. Guys, the truth is, listen, we all have problems we come in here with today. Amen? Your problems may be too big for you. They are not too big for God. They're not. 
Your problems may seem like mountains to you. They're stumps to God. Some of you, you may feel like you're spinning out of control today. Good news is there is nothing you are facing right now that is beyond God's control or outside of his authority. And according to the Bible, you know what the promise in Scripture is for you? It says in Romans 8, 28, he is sovereign over all creation, right? There's no rogue molecule in this universe. And Romans 8, 28 says, he will therefore work out all things for the good for those who love him. Hear that again. God will work out all things, all things for the good for those who trust in him. I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to me today. I don't know any other comfort in a world that things are constantly seeming to go wrong. I don't know anything else that can provide more peace than this truth. Reality is, guys, look, in this life, you will have enemies. You will. You won't be able to please everybody. Newsflash. You are going to have trials and tribulations, but the God that we worship is sovereign over it all. And ultimately, what this passage says is he is going to work out every single detail in our lives for our favor. This is why whenever, each year, I try to pick 10 guys that I I walk through and basically uh, teach them on biblical manhood, what it means to be the man that God's created them to be. And one of the things that I ask them to do is to list out all the negative events from their life. That they can think of the major negative events, the ones that when you look back on it, it still just kind of gives you that feeling in your gut. You feel shame, you feel guilt, you feel fear. You're like, man, I wish that never would have happened. I have them list that out, and then when I have them go back, and what I want them to do is I say, look, now I want you to ask yourself, how have you already seen God redeem that? How have you already seen how when you trust God that he has turned that out for your good? And you know what? Sometimes we're not going to know on this side of eternity how God used this bad for good. But you know what I've noticed? Nine times out of ten, it seems like the guys that I have met with, they can already point if they stop and think about it and they can look at how God has taken something really horrific and turn it into something really incredible. Nine times out of ten. And I can point to example after example in my life. I'll put one of them on the screen for you uh, right here. If we can get it up there, Ryan, do you have it? The uh, list from, uh, of my life? Yep, okay, he's got it. So um, this is... Uh, basically a breakdown of of just one negative event in my life some of you are very familiar with this i'm 20 years old a girl that i worshiped that was my god said bye-bye to me she broke up with me it created at the time major depression i mean major depression i remember talking to my dad saying hey i'm gonna end my life i i'll never be as happy as i was with this girl i mean my life is over out of fear I moved to Conway, began to date a girl there, began to try to get a whole new set of friends, a whole new girl, a whole new lifestyle. But that didn't work for me either. That actually ended up creating me a deeper depression, right? And in that depression, in that desperation was when I cried out to God, when he saved me. My whole life, I grew up in church. My whole life, I heard the gospel, just like you're going to hear today, and you are hearing. But it wasn't until God allowed me to wreck my life that I cried out to him. I experienced salvation. I then moved home in the middle of the semester, I knew I needed to take a break just to hear from God and to know, like, hey, what is it that you have for my life now? And while working at the Buckle in the Indian Mall, right, I meet Megan Holly. She walks in. Megan Holly becomes my wife. We now have two, about to be three kids, right? And we planted a church together. That was a blessing to some of you and to many people in our city. What I want you to see is this. God took something really broken and turned it into something really beautiful. And what I want you to see is he doesn't just do this in my life. 
He does it over and over again. In fact, he's doing it every second of every day in your life when you trust in him. That is why Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You want peace this morning? You want to find rest in the midst of an unsettled world? Here is the way to do it. You keep your mind on God. You meditate on his promises. You meditate on the fact that he is who he says he is, and he will do every single thing that he says he is going to do. Now, the question this morning is, how do you know you can trust God? How do you know, right? That's, that's why we're here, right? I mean, that's why we have the struggles. How do we really know that we can trust this God whom we cannot see? How do we know that he really is going to work out all things for my good? How can I truly know that he will give me the peace that I need? And you see, this is the same question that actually Ahaz has in this story. And that's why if you look in verse 10, go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. God says this to him. Actually, verse 11. Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ahaz, I know you're having a hard time. Believe me. So here's what I want you to do. Ask me for a sign. Some of you are like, I, thought, I didn't think you were supposed to ask God for a sign. Well, apparently God says here. It's okay. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for a sign as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. Right? Ask me whatever you want of me and I will prove to you that I will hold true to my promise. Verse 12, look at O Ahaz. I will not ask. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz seems so spiritual, doesn't he? But do you realize what he's doing here? He's literally quoting God's word against God. He's literally, listen to this. Ahaz is literally letting his religion about God get into, his, get into the way of his relationship with God. Something we're all tempted to do is to take God's word and to twist its meaning to use it in a way that fits into our worldview. Many of us do it whenever we read a passage in scripture and we're like, ooh, I love that passage. I'm going to cling to that passage. Then we read another one we don't really like and we say, okay, I'm just going to try to figure out how to twist this and make it you know, fit into my little worldview. That's what Ahaz is doing right here. And I just want you to know, when you do that, guys, it robs you of the peace that God has for you. It robs you of the life that you have been created to experience. Let me encourage you, just as a side note this morning, stop throwing meaning at Scripture. Stop worshiping God as who you think He should be and worship Him as He really is. That's where peace is found. Stop trying to conform God into your image and worship the one true God who has made you into his image. God says to Ahaz, or, you know, I know you're having a hard time finding peace right now. I know, right, that you're having a hard time believing I'm going to work this out for you. So ask for a sign, any sign from the depths of Sheol to the heights of heaven. Name it and I will do it. But Ahaz refuses. And at this point, if I was God, I'd give up on Ahaz. But look what he does in verse 14. Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Ahaz, you don't want a sign, but I'm going to give you a sign. And here's the sign. You ready for it? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God says, 
I will work everything out for your good. I will take care of you. You can trust my promises. And I'm going to give you a sign to prove it. And what sign does God give to Ahaz? He gives himself. God gives himself. He says, Ahaz, even though you are not asking for a sign that is as high as heaven and as low as Sheol, I'm going to give you a sign as high as heaven and as low as Sheol. I, God in the flesh, who sits in the heavens, will descend to this earth. I am going to come into this world. Here's your sign, Ahaz. I'm going to send my son to this earth. He's going to ascend right here. And when he comes, he is not simply going to deliver the world from a couple of little bad kings. He's going to deliver us from, from, from far greater, far scarier enemies by delivering us from the enemies of sin, death, and hell. He says, here's your sign, Ahaz. I'm going to send you my son to be born of a virgin in a small hick town to a family with no name. And I'm not even going to enter by humble means just where I'm surrounded by shepherds and, and, and a bunch of animals, but I'm even going to humble myself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the Christmas story that Jesus Christ, the God-man, entered into our world. He lived a perfect sinless life that we could not live, and then he died a death that we deserve to die. Do you realize that whenever Jesus went to the cross, he literally went to Sheol for you. He took on hell for us so that now, rather than getting the hell we deserve when we trust in him, we can get peace with God. And it is only whenever you get peace with God can you have peace in the midst of a broken world. For some of you this morning, you're looking for peace in all the wrong places. Looking to a new house, a new spouse, a better job, a better government, more friends, more money. This morning, I want to invite you to stop placing your trust in people or things of the world and place your trust in the real Jesus. Not the counterfeit Jesus that Jared Pickney bought into for the first 20 years of my life. I'm talking about the real Jesus who brings good news, the good news you're longing for, right into your heart. Isaiah 9, 6, 7 now has more meaning to us. Let me read it. For to us, verse 6, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Don't you love that? To us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. I know this may sound cheesy to some of you because you don't believe it. But you know, Jesus Christ really is the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas season. He really is. And here's the great news. He's been given to who? To us. Now you have to receive him. You have to open that present in faith. He's been given to us. I just want to ask you this morning, have you received Christ? Have you truly trusted in his life, death, and resurrection? If not, I want to invite you to do that right now. I want to invite you to stop looking for peace in that promotion. To stop looking for peace in that doctor's report or in getting more stuff or in getting more likes. And look to Jesus Christ. Christ. By looking to him, Isaiah says, look at just this list of names. In verse 6, 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. I don't know if you've noticed, but government is corrupt all over the world because it's filled with corrupt people like you and me. Therefore, the world don't operate the way it should be. One day, the world will operate exactly as it was intended to operate because the government will be placed on Jesus' shoulders. He is the wonderful counselor. You realize every counseling agency in our city, there's like five of them. They're all filled with people right now who want a good counselor, who need peace. Jesus is your wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is sovereign. He is everlasting Father. Isn't it great news to know today that God does not just want to know you from a distance. He wants to be your Father. The Father you never had. Not like your Father you grew up with. He's present. He's there. He loves you. He rejoices in you. He delights over you. He is the Prince of Peace and the increase of His government. And of that peace, there will be no end. For some of you this morning, the reason you are not at peace right now in the world, listen to me. The reason you are not at peace in this world is because you are not at peace with God. Ephesians 2 says that every single one of us in here are born enemies of God. That's really bad news. The good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. Because Jesus has come to town, you can have peace with God now. And all you have to do, guys, all you have to do to experience this peace is to believe God is who he says he is, and he's done everything that he says he's done through his life, death, and resurrection for us. When you will believe this truth, when you will take it to your heart, the Bible says immediately, you don't have to earn this, you don't have to deserve it, but immediately, by God's grace, you go from being an enemy of God to being his beloved child. And as a guarantee of the promise that one day God will give us a perfect, totally uninterrupted peace, you know what he does? He sends us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his very presence. And you know what Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is? Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, which we'll talk about in two weeks. Joy, which Adam will talk about next week, but what's the third one? Peace. The one thing we're all longing for in here and can begin to experience now, listen, if, if you are willing to submit your life to Jesus. I don't know any other way I can say it other than like this. Listen to me. We're about done. You cannot live in rebellion to the Prince of Peace and experience peace. Some of you today, Need to turn your life over to Christ for the very first time. For others who claim to be followers of Jesus, you need to repent of certain sins in your life that you know you're clinging to that Jesus has told you to let go of. Some of you, I'm telling you, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're frustrated. Stop blaming it on God. He's told you what to do. Trust Him. You cannot experience peace and live in rebellion to the Prince of Peace. I don't know what it is in your life right now. Some of you are doing things God has told you to stop doing. Some of you are not doing things God has told you to do. Stop blaming the church. Stop blaming God. Take responsibility for that sin. And know that whenever you take it to God, His grace is sufficient for those sins. And you can experience peace. Fix your eyes on God this morning. 
Turn from trusting in the things of this world that you're looking to for peace, which only, by the way, when you look to them, creates more anxiety because you know they're not certain. And look to Christ. Philippians 4.8 says, you know what? Whenever you look to the Prince of Peace, when you build your life on him, you know what he does? He gives you a peace that literally surpasses all understanding. That means that he will give you a peace that is so bizarre to the world that people will not be able to help but look and realize that something is different about you. Can you imagine that? I'm going to invite uh, the praise band to come up. And here's what I want to share with you. Here's what we're going to do as we end. Before you start putting your stuff up, I want you to think about this. 150 years ago, Horatio Spafford wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. In just a moment, we're going to sing it together. And here's what's remarkable about the song, It Is Well With My Soul. This song was not written in a place of peace and prosperity for Mr. Spafford. It was actually written in a place of great tribulation and trial. And if you don't know the story, some of you do, some of you don't, let me just tell you real quick. Spafford was actually a very wealthy lawyer, had a beautiful home, a beautiful family, all was going well, but one day he lost his child and all of his possessions in a Chicago fire. And then as he was grieving, he thought, okay, our family needs a holiday, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to type some loose ends here, but I'm going to send my wife and my four remaining daughters over to England. And they said, after I type the loose ends here, I'll join you in England. But on the way over to England, tragedy struck again. The boat that his wife and daughters were on shipwrecked. The four daughters died, and he got word back that only his daughter remained. So he then gets on a boat, and he heads over to England to be with his grieving wife. And I'm thinking about, man, if I'm in that situation, I've lost all my kids, all my possessions. Don't tell me I don't have a right to be ticked at God. My temptation is to let bitterness and anger well up inside of me. But you know what Mr. Spafford did? As he came across the place where his daughters had drowned, He wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And here's what he said. Rather than cursing God, he says, When sorrow like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul.